Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched L.A. Story. In L.A. Story, Steve Martin plays the wacky weatherman Harris Telemacher, who is at a crossroads in his life. Disillusioned with the direction his relationship and his job have been taking, he's trying to find a purpose in Los Angeles. Thankfully, he's stumbled upon a sentient billboard on the freeway that is giving him advice. Screenplay by Steve Martin, directed by Mick Jackson, and released on February 8, 1991. Have you seen L.A. Story before? Surprisingly, no. I don't know if I have either. I think I saw clips because I remember the whole Sandy stuff. Like the like her spelling the name or whatever? Yeah. And then I think I probably saw it in like a montage of something. Yeah, I don't remember anything about this movie. Uh, it, I'm surprised if I haven't. Maybe I saw it and I just don't remember. Oh, I don't know. I, I know I have not seen this because I don't remember it at all. Except for clips of like Sarah Jessica Parker as Sandy. Yeah. But uh, I did not write a whole lot of notes on this one at all because I was kind of just like watching the movie and just sort of like focusing all of my attention on what was going on on screen because it goes in so many different directions at any given time like there's this is more of a Mel Brooks movie to me than Life Stinks was okay you know because it has so many just random avant-garde jokes in there yeah so just many thrown just like, at you yes. from all over the place just it's like you know, Monty, Monty Python, it's Mel Brooks, it's, I guess, Steve Martin, too. But, you know, it, it's just, um, you can have, like, a big, serious conversation, and all of a sudden, something completely off the wall, and, you know... Yeah, you, you miss something happens. that's in the background or something. Like and that. something that's, like, completely unrealistic to life. Yeah. Know? I mean, the, the movie starts with this giant hot dog being carried by a helicopter and people are, like, waving to it, and then you have, like, a synchronized dance sequence of people getting their papers while in the sprinklers of their lawns and all yeah. kinds of like random different events and yeah i mean just weird stuff happens and even just the the magical freeway sign where it says like hiya that that's kind of yeah it it was kind of like the opening to something like portlandia or something or cuz the the point where they show four people at a four-way stop and they're waving yeah. them through yeah everyone's trying to be nice and let the other one go yeah it made me think of portlandia and the, but then they all go and then they crash into each other yeah no one thinks to stop after they all have gone yeah yeah there's just so much like surreal humor that comes out of nowhere they're having like normal conversations and all of a sudden uh over like the loudspeaker or something there's like or on the radio, it's like, and now it's open season on the freeway. And so now everyone, like, is grabbing their guns and, like, shooting at each other. Yeah, see, I didn't get that. I, I don't fully understand that specific... I mean, I understand open season means hunting. Yeah, but... So... I, I didn't get that I joke just specific that like, to so L.A. Cutthroat. Yeah. Just the highway driving is so cutthroat, I guess. But, but maybe the there shooting? have been a lot of shootings at that time, too. That's I what don't I, know. I... I wrote that down in, like, a question mark. Is... Like, when it's, this is right at the beginning of spring, so, because in the beginning montage, you see people carrying their Christmas trees, like, out into the garbage or into the street. So yeah, that's supposed to be, like, kind of one of the 
the half jokes too is like the guys in shorts and he's just yeah because it's always like on. 70 degrees every day yeah. that's like the joke there too even mm. with him being a weatherman yeah he, he's just like it's sunny this broadcast and like what what could possibly happen and it's like a torrential downpour right yeah and i don't even know yeah so i was thinking so with that the shooting on the highway i guess that joke i didn't get that much because i was like are they making fun of how the highways there are so crazy because it is or is it like a making fun of how um like violent it was starting to become in la like how they were talking about in grand canyon i mean it could have been a little bit of both or it could have just been like the natural progression i mean a lot of this is sort of like anticipating future advancements in society yeah. in a way you know you have like the voice activated phone that he's trying to set up there's you know like the text yeah, car speak phones in the freeway. and stuff like that and you know um Which, even like yeah. the roller skate shoes that he's wearing is honestly just kind of like a precursor to, to like the wheelies, wheelies that came out but maybe this is just like him taking the next natural step of like oh there's this all this road rage now all of a sudden pretty soon everyone's gonna be carrying guns shooting and shooting each at each other, other. Which is literally what's happening in this day and age sometimes. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. It could have been all three of those things. But I think the part of the joke is, you know, here's little granny and, you know, shooting. Yeah, shooting at him so they can, so no one can merge over onto their lane. Yeah. Uh, it, it's also kind of just like one step up of what Suburban Commando did with the Christopher Lloyd. Oh, yeah, with the stop signs with like the nine cars all in a row and yeah. like racing to the next light um but yeah i don't know i found myself like captivated by the movie but in terms of like comedy i found it to be a lot more clever mm -hmm. than actually funny and maybe that's just time i don't know i still i mean it's kind of relevant today with a lot of the stuff that he's making fun of yeah it, virtually everything i understood is you know not just of that time but also now it still applies but i i mean i didn't find it to be like gut busting in any way it's just like oh yeah that's cute that's that's a clever way to talk about that yeah that's it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think that maybe that's like one of the things that kind of disappointed me a little bit about the movie is that it felt like Steve Martin himself didn't put his all into the performance of this even though he wrote it you'd think he would maybe like baby this and you know I felt like he was one of the worst performers in the movie oh really I think so I mean I, I don't know it just seemed like the he one, was the other the one part that really like I didn't another one that I didn't understand was when he's roller skating in the art museum uh-huh I mean, is that just because they're bored and they're, and his friend wants to show him do some sort of performance art? Yeah, they're putting it together for some sort of artistic piece. I mean, but I don't, yeah, nothing comes of it. And I, that's also. But it another... seems like they do that almost every day. Wouldn't it get to the point where the. Because they, they go to an art, or do they do it at different art museums? They go to it, different ones. Okay. Yeah, but they also, like, stake it out and be like, you know, because they do the little countdown, like, okay, go now. Yeah, because they're waiting for when the security people leave the room in whatever art museum they're at, and then he pops out his little wheelies and roller skates around, and it was kind of giving me anxiety because I was like, what if he hits something? Yeah. Like a, a piece, and that's what I... That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, but it like doesn't. Like he was going to knock down or ruin a piece of art. It, it's instead a way to do like another like meet cute with the, the girl halfway through the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing comes of it. And honestly, there's so many characters in this movie that just make appearances just to make appearances and they don't really amount to anything at all. Like, that entire friend group in the opening scene where they're at the, the lunch? Well, yeah, they're all... Well... That's kind of the joke with him, because his girlfriend at the time, um, Trudy, Trudy, yeah, Mary Lou Henner. yeah, 
he, they're getting ready to go to this brunch and he's like I don't even know these people kind of yeah and he's like except for his agent who's yeah there. his agent but then he's like who are these people that we're meeting and she just his girlfriend just says that uh you know they're just friends and friends of friends and he's like if so-and-so's there I don't even want want to kiss her on the cheek because that's all she does is kiss people on the cheek but mm-hmm. then when he sees her, he kisses everyone on the cheek or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like he's not exactly friends with any of those people. Except his agent, but then that other guy. But the agent's in, like, two scenes. Yeah. You know, like, there's... there's it, They're so inconsequential. I mean, he exists to, to get Trudy out of the picture. Yeah. Because Trudy's having an affair with the agent played by Kevin Pollock, and that's about it. Like he's he's there in that one scene, and then he's like mentioned, and you know we as the audience see them at the Hard Rock Cafe at the same time that he's out with another person right. that, that, that Harris is. Um, so I mean, it's just to you know it's it moves the plot along, but there's no attempt at character development aside from really the four main people. Which I would say would be Harris, Sandy, Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got um, Victoria or Sarah McDowell. Sarah McDowell played by Victoria Tennant, and then Roland played by Richard E. Grant. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is just fodder. Yeah, which is kind of weird with such a big supporting group. Just so many people floating in and out of. This yeah, you whole have thing. so many cameos. You're like, oh, this person, that person. It's. There's tons. Yeah. Like, even even the friend that's videotaping him, Ariel, played by Susan Forrestal, mm-hmm. who, like, I don't... She's done, like, some other stuff. I think she got involved because she was Lauren Michaels' wife at the time, mm-hmm. and Steve and Lauren are very buddy-buddy, and, you know, maybe, I don't know. She doesn't do a whole lot of acting, is what I'm trying to say. But, like, she's there. And then there's, like, two little scenes with, like, June, played by Frances Fisher, who we saw in Lucy and Desi. Right. And she's just... Like, what happened to my plant? And, that, like, that's that's why she exists as a character? It's so weird to me. Yeah, it's just... Steve Martin is like, hey, I'm gonna make a movie. Let's invite all my friends into this. That's what it seems like. And, I, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. things just sort of morphed in the editing room because, like, we saw the alternate ending when we watched yeah, the DVD. The... And I know there's, like, a whole subplot with his Even agent. Even the trailer... Because yeah, the trailer shows a lot of stuff that was not in the movie. Yeah. Um, there's like this whole subplot with his agent, who he mentions by name in the movie, but you never see in the final picture, played by John Lithgow. Yeah. And he had like multiple scenes that were just Yeah, John removed. Lithgow's not in the actual movie. So his character is mentioned a few times. But we don't like so, we don't even know who he is until he, unless you watch the deleted scenes. So maybe some of these things that I'm complaining about were on the cutting room floor, in the in in the interest of like keeping it as like a tight ninety minute movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, you know, the focus is not so much on characters; it's on the punchlines, it's on the jokes. Like like I said, you have like this conversation, and then all of a sudden, he'll call for f- full service at the gas station. And you get like a pit crew scene where everyone's like running in and doing things at a friend. Yeah, like he's in the Indy 500 or yeah. some shit. But, you know, that's the type of movie you're getting. But I, I did like the brunch scene. I did too. Because... It was like, like that and also like the opening montage. It's They're both like very good introductions to the type of humor you're going to see. Yeah. I, them just... I mean, it's also making me think of Portlandia too just making fun of that scene during that time because they're going to this brunch and then um Harris is like we're gonna be late because brunch was at two and they get there at 2 30 and then when they arrive they're the first people there so it's just like a joke that everyone's late you know and um once everyone's there they the food that they order or the drinks especially is funny it's like everyone wants decaf coffee and then or decaf anything Mm -hmm. they're just like do you have decaffeinated coffee ice cream was funny yeah (laughs) (laughs) and then they all they all want half calf yeah and they all want 
like a side of lemon yeah with anything they're drinking i mean that's still kind of to this day people always want like because i mean at that time everyone's just like health conscious and whatever the fuck yeah they're, they're just chasing trends and so hey, i could have a double espresso decaf yeah everything right. is decaf <laughs> which was making me laugh and the and they food have, like, that the... they order Oh, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, they also have, like, the, the earthquake as well. Where right. It just and happens, and people are just, like, dining while they're shifting around in the, you know, like, they're, right. they're moving from one side of the screen to the other without, like, any sort of Yeah, they're just, like, happens. this happens, which I get, because if people who grew up and live in California, if it's, like, a small earthquake, they're like, yeah, this is nothing, uh-huh. which, and that's exactly what was happening there, except this is when, um... Sarah McDowell arrives. She's super late because she was lost. And Victoria she, Tennant. And she's just arriving, right? From from, she's from the UK? From the UK. Like, like, she, her, like she, her, her plane flight, just landed. Yeah, day, her right? flight yeah. was late or something. And then, yeah. she, then she rented a car, I'm assuming, because she's driving. Yeah. And she gets there and um that's when the earthquake happens and she's like she's the only one that's just like what the hell's going on yeah and no and one's really like, speaking eh. to her except for harris like even though she's like i didn't know she was roland's ex-wife until when they actually mentioned it in a further scene you mean like near the end when they're at the mm-hmm. hotel? No, not oh. like... I no, I think it's meant to be hidden until like halfway through when they're like at the hot dogs. It wasn't stand. until they literally said, this is my ex-wife or this is my ex-husband. I was like, oh, that's how they know each other. Oh, they said it like halfway through the movie. Talking I'm saying I didn't know that. When she sat down at the brunch. No, neither. No, I, I don't think we were supposed to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We weren't supposed to. Because I was like, who is she? <laughs> but yeah, she comes in and she's just saying that she's doing an, uh, a piece on LA life for her, whatever magazine or newspaper she's writing for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So she just knows these people from whoever <laughs> yeah she knows richard e grant's character but we don't know how yeah we don't know they're both british that's all we need to know yeah you just have all these you have iman at the table so it's like yeah. all these uh and then there's like another woman who just had like a nose job you know just typical yeah whatever making fun Coming of la shit everything uh but yeah it, it's a good scene and there's other just random stuff it, and like the the dance club closed store, which I don't know if was like meant to be a commentary or of you know stuff to be to be happening later. You know, like where Sarah Jessica Parker's character yeah. works. But I think it's that was like a because... dance club slash clothing store, which I don't know if that was just starting to become popular at the time. I don't remember them existing back then. I think that was just then, making but... fun of the music that's being played in certain clothing stores. I Maybe. have no idea. Yeah. I mean, that is sort of the environment that some places go for now. It's, you know, like... Yeah, especially maybe 20 years ago. So, um... With Express or whatever. But, um... Yeah, I guess maybe in the 90s. But anyway, things things happen. And and essentially, you know, what happens is, is... Um, Harris's car eventually breaks down. Before this happens, though, he sees somebody... On the side, like, as he's driving, he sees somebody on the side of the road staring up at the billboard. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of like a cutaway shot that we get. It's kind of like a funny little thing. And then at some point, his car breaks down, and it coasts to this bill billboard, yeah. which then starts to talk to him. And it's like, hiya. Well, yeah, not physically, or not... Yeah, just through text. Texting like you, talk. You, you hear, like, there's like an explosion of sparks. Yeah. And then it starts to, to talk. And yeah, it, and it's and, responding. And it's text speak where it's doing the are you okay with the letter R, the little the letter U, and then okay. But he's like Ruwak. Yeah. And I, th- I was like, is this the beginning of texting? Because <laughs> doing the letter R and the letter U and okay, 
I didn't see that in the early 90s. I didn't really see that until... Probably late 90s. Even when, like, I was online. If you had... Yeah, like with chatting is when... Yeah, but even, like, in the early... Even, like, in the mid-90s when I was first on, like, the bulletin board systems, the local BBSs, you know, logging on, I don't remember a whole lot of that. I remember, like, the emoticons starting up, but I don't remember, like, the truncated speech of replacing letters with words. Yeah. The lead speak that came like late nineties. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Maybe I just wasn't with the right people. Maybe it was in L.A., but I mean, there there weren't modems and BBSs in nineteen ninety one anyway. <laughs> yeah, so. showing people on their car phones. Yeah, I mean that's also an eighties thing. Yeah, that but, yeah. that is, because I thought, I mean. My stepdad had a car with a car phone, and I thought that was, like, the coolest thing. <laughs> it's still cool, honestly. <laughs> yeah, because no one really... Ha- I mean, everyone has cell phones now, but if you see a car and a phone, it's just... It's still interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, the uh, the billboard is basically saying, you know, this... I'll help you change your life, in, in, in a sense. You know, just listen to me, and then the key to happiness is to unscramble the phrase, how daddy is doing. Yeah, and so he's trying to come up with, uh, like, riddles. He's like, what type of riddle is this? He's trying to figure it out. And, I don't know. It's It's just kind of like him. He doesn't like being a weatherman because it's, you know, every single day in in LA is just sunny and like 70 so every time he does go to work he's like yeah he's coming up with other wacky ideas to make his job fun for him I'm assuming I think so but also I think he feels trapped in that too where you know like his boss which is another cameo Woody Harrelson plays the boss he's saying you know make it more wacky this is too cerebral where, yeah, like, yeah, you know he's he's pretending like there's a magnet that's forcing his hand back onto the thing, and like that's the joke of the the whole weather report, right? Where he says, "Oh, toupee watch, it's gonna be really gusty, so make sure you're you're ha- wearing like a hat hairs. or stay inside." <laughs> yeah. So he does, you know, he has little wrinkles to that, and the guy's like, "No, this isn't wacky enough. Like you need." Yeah, to- but he's just like every day is sunny, and I, I don't know how to come up with a new wacky way of saying yes it's sunny out Mm -hmm. and then there was just one day where he's like who gives a shit about the weather anyways and that's when it has like a torrential downpour yeah and then he pretty much gets fired because he didn't warn anyone well he also pre-recorded his weather report that day yeah Yeah. he he pre-recorded it as it yeah it's gonna be sunny who gives a shit and this was, um, there's a reason why he did that, but also before that happens, another encounter with the billboard was whether we'll change your life twice. Yeah. And that was the that was the, that first, was the first one that happened. First one, yeah. Uh, but, so, he's not really happy with Trudy, played by Mary Lou Henner. She's kind of like self-absorbed and doesn't really care about anybody and whatever, and we find out that she's having an affair with Frank, which he just guesses is a joke, but it turns out to be true. But at the same time, he's courting Sandy, kind of. Uh, well, I think Parker, that's once is... he finds out that Trudy's with... It's not, because they're both at the Hard Rock Cafe at the same time. And he guesses the oh, okay, affair okay. after Okay, after that. that. Alright. Well, I think it's because... But she, I mean, he doesn't, like, re- he doesn't... Yeah, he, he goes out with her, but he's not, like actively trying he's still very apprehensive about the whole thing with sandy in the first place right well because i think she's just coming on she's being the she she's kind of sort of coming on to him yeah so she's the first time that they meet is he's going with trudy to that dance club clothing store and that's where Sandy works, and she's, you know, dancing around, doing whatever, trying she's, to... She's constantly moving and, like, measuring his pants and, like, going... Yeah, be- she's Doing the tailoring. inseam and stuff and going in between his legs. Yeah, and... doing trying to tailor his pants. So then he comes back, because she said it'll be ready in three days. So when he comes back, it's that's when it was the day it was raining, and 
it, they were closed and he sees Sandy closing up. But he's like, yeah, I'm here to pick up my pants. So she goes to get it to help him out. But then she's like, oh, they're still being tailored, I guess. Yeah. And then I guess she's like, you can give me your number if you want. Right. And I'll call you. And I'll you. call you with it. And then he calls. Yeah. She, <laughs> she calls him. Yeah. She and, calls and... him. But then I think they were just hanging. I think he's just hanging out with her. Because she has his pants. I don't know. No, I like, mean, just I think, to be nice. He, no, I think he has aspirations of relationship, but he doesn't think it's going to happen because of the age difference. Because of how young she is? Yeah. Well, I think. Because, like, she's very young and bubbly. I mean, like, honestly, do you remember that Phil Moore character on Mad TV, the UPS driver, who's just, like, constantly bouncing around all yeah, the time? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's what she does yeah. in this movie. Well, plus she wants, she's going to school to be, uh, like, a correspondent. What was it? Like, a spokesmodel. A spokesmodel. Yeah, like a person. This right girl type of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's constantly just, uh, yeah, like modeling things or yeah, she's constantly know. like, yeah, showing things and like moving her arms in different ways and yeah, whatever. it's funny. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really great. Um, and but yeah, I don't think he has any illusions, but he has hopes, and really, his his lust is more for Victoria Tennant's character, Sarah, but he doesn't yeah. know how to get a hold of her as easily. And so, like, he's definitely unhappy with Trudy, and he's letting his mind and eyes wander elsewhere, and he has, like, two different targets for very different reasons. Okay, yeah. And when they meet up at the Hard Rock Cafe, I just thought that was funny, because she has a boyfriend. Yeah. And he, and he's like, oh, okay, are you seeing? Like, he's like... It's like, oh yeah, you like you must get hit on all the time. I didn't, never would have asked for you for your number because you must have a boyfriend. You must get hit and on all the like, time. And she's like, yeah, I do have yeah. a boyfriend. And he's over there at the bar, and he just shows him, and he's like, he reminds me of Orin from Parks and Rec. <laughs> like, it's just the the look on his face, like worried. Yeah, he's he's just like a game. And he doesn't really he doesn't say anything. No. I don't think at, ever. It's just him. I don't staring. think he's credited in the movie. I was trying to find out who he was because. So I remember they said his name, but I could not find anybody in the credits. Like who played him? Because it was funny. Yeah. But yeah, just like a quick little look, like there in the thing, and then also when they're leaving for the weekend, you see him looking out the window. Yeah, because she says bye, Bill or whatever. What's his name? Rick or something. Yeah, and then he just he's looking out the window, and I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Um and he. And Harris is just like, oh, okay. Like, this is weird, but okay, I'll go. If you're fine with it, then I guess I'll go with it. And, um, yeah, once they leave the Hard Rock Cafe, that's when Trudy comes in with With Kevin Pollack, who, Frank, the, his boss or whatever, his agent, not, not his boss. So that's, yeah, uh, that's... But it's just, um, well, because Trudy said she was going to go to a shower, like a someone's wedding shower or baby shower. Yeah, something. But it was like on a Monday night. But he was just like, whatever, yeah, go to it. Mm-hmm. So he comes to her house the next day and asks about it, but he sees like, all this shit around her house, like wine and whatever, like empty glasses of wine. And he's like, oh, you must have had a good time. But then he made up this whole story. He's like, yeah, you must be seeing my agent. I think she admitted. She's like, I have to come clean. Like I was with somebody at the Hard Rock Cafe last night. And he's like, oh, like, because he didn't know if he got spotted too. Yeah, she but, said you know, that she, she went can, somewhere. Yeah, she came, She's she like, came oh, clean. he's like, oh no, I, I. And he's like, oh, okay, oh, well, so you must be having an affair with Frank then. He's like, yes, I was. And she's like, yeah, actually. Like, How did you know? And he's like, I was right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, and then like he's like, you know, they break it off, and like as soon as he exits the door, he's like super thrilled about it. Because right, he's, he's happy done, about it. Like he's, he's he more wants to pursue Sarah Sandy or Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Mostly Sarah. Mostly Sarah. Uh, Sarah is 
at some point, I think at this point, had gotten in touch with him a little bit in order to... Uh, well, she gets... You know, go around town with him, you know, do a little... Uh, well, she wants to write a story about him, because she's trying to write well, a story about... just interview him as one of the people in the... In, yeah. in L.A. Yeah. Because she sees him as the weatherman on TV. Yeah. In her... Is she in an apartment, or... I think in... she's renting a room somewhere, yeah. I don't yeah. know exactly where. Um... But yeah, he's like, oh, well, wait, why don't I just take you around and see the sights? And yeah, and that's when that. he starts to have more of a crush on her, I guess. Right. And maybe on each other. But that's when I think we find out that her ex-husband is Roland. Does she mention it? Not to him. No, she she tries to keep that whole thing separate because she, in her mind, the relationship's over. Part of the reason why she's there, however, is that it's Roland like, wants to get back together with her and right. give it another shot, and she's, like, humoring him, but knows it's over. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, I think they... Re- they... She, she promised to go away on this weekend trip with him to see if anything would work out. Okay, I think they reveal that their ex-husband and ex-wife, when Steve Martin bumps into her at the one of the art museums because they all go out to lunch together no she just reveals that she has an ex-husband not that roland is is okay <laughs> that's not until they're all at the hotel at the end okay that's okay. when it's that's like, when oh, it's that, revealed you are the, you you're are the, the ex-husband, ex-husband? Yeah. okay um but yeah so because she's like one of one of the points of contention is after they they meet up in the hotel is you know you said you're here with the ex-husband but you're here with roland instead it's like, no, Roland is the ex-husband. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then he calls him his best friend. Yeah. My, he's like, your ex-husband is my best friend. And she's like, how are you friends? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Um, but in the meantime, there's all kinds of other little random jokes and things. There's, a, a, you know, you got Rick Moranis is a grave digger because there's several different references to Shakespeare in this movie when he's narrating the thing. And uh, you could argue, like, the the storm is Tempest-like. And there's, like, a little bit of, like... Uh, I forget the name of that play with the, the donkey puck, Midsummer's Night Dream. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that going on, too. Um, but then you have the Gravedigger, which is alluding to Hamlet because he's holding the skull of this magician, jokester guy. And they actually yeah. quote... Parts a dead of person. Hamlet there. Yeah. Uh, but Mer- Moranis puts on a, a terrible British accent and um, it's just quote, you know, credited as Gravedigger. And for some reason, he's there with Sarah and Harris. And they have this little. Well, that's, that thing. was the, that that's was part the of day. The, that's part of the tour, I guess. Yeah, yeah that was the but, day that Harris was taking Sarah around the city just to show her yeah. random stuff. So it was an interesting scene. I think they're trying to throw in a little bit too much, like, like Shakespeare reference, yeah, stuff in here. When it's on the other side of the coin, you have a, re- a restaurant that's literally called Le Idiot, but Lidio. not yeah, Lidio, but spelled Le Idiot, mm-hmm. um, which is I th- I mean that was another funny couple scene. different sequences. <laughs> sequences, yeah, because. I mean, it's still, it's referencing how hard it is to get into, like, a new up-and-coming or very ritzy type of restaurant, and he tries to, um, this is when he's with Sandy at this point. Yeah. And she, he's like, okay, let me take you out to dinner, and she's like, oh, I heard about this new place called Lydio and he's like okay let's make a reservation so he tries to make a reservation for that weekend and they kind of laugh at him and the only so they said he said Friday or Saturday and then they laugh but he's like okay what about Sunday and they're like okay you have either a 5.30 dinner or a 10.30 dinner which is what we go through sometimes to Mm -hmm. this day just to get into a restaurant that's not even 
like yeah, a classy one yeah. or ritzy one or whatever. But what we don't go through is the financial inquisition that he goes through after that. Right. So they. So how much do you make? What's your mother's maiden name? What's your bank account? I I thought that was interesting. I thought that was funny too. And they're like, okay, well, what if you were to come to this restaurant? What would you order? And they're like, oh no, you can't afford that. You're you're just gonna get the chicken if you come here. Yeah. And that's all we're gonna serve you. Yeah, and I, it, I it all it sort of all culminates in, in a scene where the, he has to go down to the bank and show documents to Mr. Purdue, played by Patrick Stewart, and also the chef there, right? Who are like just grilling him on his financial status, right? At and then the, bank the next joke is when he bumps into Sarah and Roland at the art museum. Roland is like, "Oh, I can make I can get reservations to Lydio." And Harris is like, oh, don't even bother because you're yeah. not going to get in. But then he, he just makes a call and he's like, oh, we'll go tonight. Yeah. And then when they get there, obviously all the food is like super tiny and um, they're offering regular or diet floss <laughs> yeah. as, as you go around the thing. I mean, and just when getting in, they have this camera that's trying to spot all the famous people. Yeah, like facial recognition that's like giving all the stats. Like, to show like what table they should have. Yeah, they should where they should sit or whatever, depending on how famous they are. And that's when they show Chevy Chase, and he's, I forgot his name. Yeah, he's not playing something himself. Christopher. Yeah, but they're like I, I would like to get a better table. And he's like no. <laughs> yeah. And it's like oh, is this part of the punishment still? Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot they, of... Yeah, and then they just make fun of the, the waiters that they have, because there's a rapping waiter. Uh-huh. Who is an actual rapper, by yeah. the way. MC Shan, uh, who did The Bridge, A Mind is Terrible Thing to Waste, and also co-wrote Snow's Informer. Interesting. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he's rapping hit the, like the, the, the menu, menu to them, yeah. the specials, and he's like, by the way, I'm also an actor. It's like, you know, also... Right, yeah. Just promoting himself nonstop. Um, yeah, it's just... It's just interesting how, like, the tone will shift from one thing to another, and it never feels off in that way. Like, it, it's... It's fine. Like, it's... It's a natural enough... It, it's it's not natural. It's completely unnatural. But it doesn't... It doesn't hurt the movie to go from these, like, normal conversations into this complete surreal, you know, out-of-this-world commentary. And I think that they do a, a decent enough job of showing, like, the beauty of L.A. while still making fun of it at the same time. Right, there's another thing where Sandy takes him. She's like, okay, well, I'm going to take you to places that I usually go to, and they talk about high colonics and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, which I don't know how new of a thing that was at that time. It was probably, I don't know, a, a new... I, I don't know, because we also watched All of Me, and they also talked about high colonics. And that That's was, true. That was that in was, the early 80s. Yeah, that was so. almost 10 years earlier. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, a bunch of random stuff is happening here. He's going to the billboard here and there to get, you know, another set of advice. But at the, at the end of the whole thing... Um, He's trying to convince Sarah to be with him. She's like, well, I can't because I have to go away this weekend with my ex-husband. And so Sandy is basically saying, let's let's go away this weekend as well. And Well, he kind of doesn't want to because he's really starting to fall in love with Sarah. Yeah. And Sandy's like, and he's starting to feel bad for Sandy, he's like, I don't want to use you because I don't want to be with you, really. I want to be with Sarah. Yeah. And Sandy's like, I don't mind if you use me. Let's go. And yeah. he's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like this is a completely no no strings attached thing. type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Whatever and, happens, happens. And this is just like a new thing for him. Mm -hmm. So he's like, all right, I guess we will go. And they end up going to the same place that's in Malibu. Santa Barbara? Oh, Santa Barbara. I don't know okay. How different those are. Um, I, I just, I knew it was somewhat close by, but, but you know, like a couple hour drive. 
Maybe Santa Barbara. But yeah. they're in but adjoining the place, rooms. But the place is called Pollo del Mar, which is, you know, chicken of the sea. Yeah. Another little jab. At yeah. Like trying to make something sound more serious than it is. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's like this miscommunication and they all meet in the hallway and, you know, conversations happen and... You know, Sarah's mad at Harris, and Harris is also mad at Sarah, and that's the whole conversation where he's, he finds out that, you know, Roland is her ex-husband, and, but she's like, well, then who is this person? Like, and Sandy's, like, in the background just doing, like, cartwheels and flips and whatever in the ocean, just having, like, a carefree time. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, it they sort kind of, of ends just, with, like, like, comment on, you know, their relationships, but... Yeah, I mean, Roland is not super heartbroken. He's he's playing it with, like, that British sensibility, I guess, is what it's yeah. intended to be. He's like, oh, man, I really wish things would have worked out. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, like, he wasn't really pissed off that, no. oh, you, you like, like my ex-wife? Oh, oh, shucks, all right. Yeah, like, he's eating all of his feelings and, like, not showing it at all on his face. Um... Which is like a complete 180 from Richard E. Grant's character in Hudson Hawk, of course. Where right. Where he's like over the top and like menacing and maniacal. Here he's like very subdued and you know, whatever. Uh, but it works, you know, <laughs> equally well here. Um, but yeah, things don't go well. And basically they part ways. And, and Sarah is on getting ready to leave back to, to the UK on the plane. Uh, there's like some conversations and stuff that happened before this too. That kind of leads to this thing. But basically... What happens is that Harris is able to control the weather to delay and, like, remove her from the flight. Right. So this is the second time where the weather changed his life. Yes. By, in what the by mar- being able to, like, manifest another yeah. storm that right. grounds the flight. And then she comes back to his place. And then they start talking at some point like her car starts drifting towards the thing without her knowledge and she gets freaked out and doesn't believe anything that's happening but now that she's back off of the flight she harris is like just trust me here and then they go to the, the the billboard together um the riddle gets solved at the end yeah it was where like it's sing or play do what diddy is the anagram for how daddy is doing and they show that a little bit where sarah plays, sarah plays, the, plays tuba. the tuba and at one point she calls her mother with it which is another cameo in the voice of in the in the form of the voice of terry jones from yeah monty python it's fame. obvious that it is not an older woman because yes. it's you can tell that it's a man going making fun of I don't know, doing an old woman's yes. voice. Oh, I'd love to play the song with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that type of thing. And so they play the song, and so that's sort of be, like meant to be sort of the connection. And then, yeah, just kind of a quick end with them together. Yep. And there you go. It was a weird ending. But it was but, funny yeah. where, so then when they confront the sign, they're like, okay, now that you helped us, how do we help you? And the sign is like, oh, I really like cable TV or something like right. that. Right. I thought that was funny. It's like, give me a hug. So he just like hugs the pole. Uh-huh. And I wish that there was a little bit more with some of these other characters. Maybe the, I don't know, maybe the extended scenes, maybe the deleted scenes. I, I just like, wanted, I was confused, like, okay, so his best, another joke was that his best friend Ariel lives, like, three or four houses down, but yeah. th- one of the jokes is, you know, nobody really walks in L.A., so he hops in his car and just drives three houses down and then get, gets out to go to his friends. I just wanted yeah. to know more about Ariel. Like, yeah. Like, what was the thing that they were making with him roller skating around? Because she always had... Every time he went to her house, she was always doing something artistic. Like, the first time she was, like, juicing everything. Like, that was the new trend, was, like, juicing and experimenting. And then the next time was, like, she was painting. So, I don't know. It's just how how did they become friends? And And Trudy just seemed like she was a very jealous person. So... How did Trudy feel about him being friends with Ariel, you know? Yeah, I mean, Trudy's 
there for like a couple scenes. Yeah, Ariel's just to there be like, just to be another person to talk to, right? Um, and be like, hey, that's the girl I was telling you about. Like, that's her role is to be the person who gets told things, right? Um, you know, Sam McMurray's character Morris is there to be like a one note joke of like I'm rating everything from one to ten because I'm the movie critic guy and yeah. like uh, you know gets his head shoved into a thing when he bad mouths mm-hmm. Trudy or whatever. So in terms of awards, really just two, both from the American Comedy Awards, which we have not talked about before on this podcast. Um, It was nominated for two different things. One, Steve Martin for Funniest Lead Actor, but he lost to Billy Crystal for City Slickers. And then also, weirdly enough, Best Supporting Actress nomination for Mary Lou Henner. She's like barely in it. I, I mean, know. they should have been given it to Sarah Jessica Parker. I completely agree. Nothing against Victoria Tennant either, but like she's like the straight man in this thing. Sarah Jessica Parker is like actively she's doing things. Yeah, she's like <laughs> I don't know. She's like, she's a funny actress. Like she, even she's a funny you, actress, and she's even like, when you watch like Sex in the City, she still has. Like, physical comedy. She's Yeah, she's doing the physical stuff in this movie. She's doing, like, the verbal stuff. She has the delivery. She has the attitude down. It's, like, just, like, perfect characterization of Sandy, which we didn't explain is spelled S-A-N, capital D, lowercase e, uppercase e, and then a star at the end. Yeah, and that that's another joke where when like, he oh, asks... Oh, I need all these fa- fake weird names yeah harris says like oh when he asks her her name she's she says sandy and he's like oh a normal name he's like i'm sick and tired of all these weird names that everyone has and she's like no but i spell it this way so that yeah that was another joke and then the the main joke with sarah is that she's from the uk so she's always driving on the left side of the street causing like all kinds of car accidents. Yeah, causing problems nonstop. That's like and the her main Harris is joke. Like, no, get all right, get all right. And she's like, I don't think they can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, it's funny, but that that was like the main joke no, for her, Sarah. Yeah. And also, she was throwing darts and always missing. Yeah, because she's always aiming it to the left. So it's like you know some joke about just the UK doing everything on the left, but. Right. But anyway, Mary Lou Henner was nominated for the American Comedy Award, not Sarah Jessica Parker, but otherwise, I mean, Mercedes Ruel won that award as well. Um, casting crew, we got Mick Jackson as the director, Emmy Award winner for Temple Grandin, also nominated for Life from Baghdad and Indictment, the McMartin Trial, BAFTA Award winner for Threads, Race for the Double Helix, and a very, very British coup, all of those are British productions, of course, from BAFTA TV. Uh, also nominated for Denial. He directed uh, The Bodyguard, Clean Slate, Volcano, and also the TV movie Tuesdays with Maury. Actually, most of his work is in TV movies, especially in Britain. Steve Martin we talked about a couple different times. Uh, Victoria Tennant is Sarah McDowell. Sarah McDowell, Golden Globe nominations for The Winds of War. She's also been in things like Horror Planet, All of Me, which we mentioned before, Flowers in the Attic, The Handsmaid Tale, and she was the wife of Steve Martin from 1986 to 1994. Richard E. Grant we've seen before. Mary Lou Henner as Trudy. Golden Globe nominations five times over for her role in Taxi. But Razzie nominations for her roles in Cannonball Run 2, Perfect, and Rustler's Rhapsody. She's also been in Johnny Dangerously, Evening Shade, and uh, currently a bunch of the Aurora Tea Garden mysteries with uh, Candace Cameron Bure on the Hallmark Channel. Mm. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker as Sandy, two-time Emmy winner, uh, both one for acting and one for producing for Sex and the City, and also eight more nominations, as well as four Golden Globe nominations for Sex and the City. Razzie Award winner for Sex and the City 2, the movie. Nominations for the Razzies for Did You Hear About the Morgans, I Don't Know How She Does It, and New Year's Eve. Stinkers nominations for Till There Was You. Also, Saturn nominations for Hocus Pocus, and she got her start with doing, you know, smaller stuff like the TV show Square Pegs, most famously, and she's been in movies like First Wives Club 
if Lucy fell. And in 1991, she was on a TV show called Equal Justice, which I don't know if we've talked we've about. We talked about that because yeah, that's, there was a legal drama that yeah. she was in. Yeah. So that lasted like one season. Yeah. Um, and then we have a couple little things. Like I said, a bunch of different cameos. We did not talk about the cameo for George Plimpton, who played like the serious weatherman near the end. Mm-hmm. You got Paul Abdul as like one of the skaters with no lines. Um, you know, Larry Miller's in there with like a head brace and Mon, who we've seen in House Party 2, she was there at the the thing. Um, but uh, two other cameos, we got uh, Patrick Stewart as Mr. Purdue, Emmy nominated for Moby Dick, Lion and Winter, Extras in Hamlet, but not Star Trek Next Generation. Golden Globe nominations for Blunt Talk, um, Saturn Award winner for Star Trek The Next Generation, Logan and Star Trek Picard, nominated for Star Trek First Contact, A Christmas Carol, X-Men. He's been in a lot of episodes of Family Guy and American Dad, 114 episodes of American Dad. I never watched that show, but I, I had no idea he was American like so Dad. ingrained with Seth MacFarlane, but he's in like all of his stuff. And then he's been in things like Robin Hood Men in Tights, one of your favorite movies, and yes. Dune, the original Dune. And then Rick Moranis, this is his only 1991 movie, as the Gravedigger, Emmy Award winner and three-time nominee for SCTV. Obviously, Ghostbusters, Parenthood, with Steve Martin, Spaceballs, Strange Blue, Brew, Flintstones, Little Shop of Horrors, with Steve Martin, uh, Gravedale High, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So, big Yeah, big shortly after that is when he retired, wasn't yeah, it? It, like it was in a the few later. years down the line. Yeah, like 96-ish, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, because I, when I was reading up about him... He his... didn't fully retire. He just didn't do a whole lot. And he would, he started to do a lot more, like, voice acting work. Things where he could just, you know, be with his kids Yeah, because most of the time. I read that his wife died in 1991. Oh, okay. It was 91. Yeah, but, but... it wasn't until the late 90s where he... I think he just made a statement saying that I need to focus on my kids because I can't be a single father and, and also take me away for like months on a film shoot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. But he never like fully, fully retired. He still does things here and there. He just, he's very, he's very picky. picky about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That's the casting crew. We can move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay. Well, I have a couple of. So I saw that, well, this movie was released on February 8th, 1991, which was a Friday. It was the same release date as Sleeping with the Enemy. Which is like, what, episode five? Something like that for us. It was, yeah, 120 episodes ago. Yeah. And Operation Condor was February 7th. Only like 10 episodes ago. Yes, and I saw this. There was like an LA Times article where it showed the top 25 movies about L or set in LA about LA, and it had to have like two criteria where the movie had to communicate some inherent truth about the LA experience, and then it also had to be one film per director to be allowed on this list. Okay. So this it's an LA Times article that came out in 2008 and LA Story is number 20. Num- the number one movie was LA Confidential mm. on that list. Okay. So do they rank it in like terms of quality or just LA-ness or both? It was... Just voted by a group of writers who write for the LA Times. Okay, so they're probably but also they're... incorporating like how good the movie is. Yeah, I mean, I have the full list. I don't. Do you want me to name all twenty five? No, we can movies? just go on the website. Yeah, I have just in the interest of the article and put it on number two is Boogie Nights. I will. Okay. So one and two. One is LA Confidential. Two is Boogie Nights. So that's where you're getting. That's. It's been a long time since I've seen LA Confidential. Compared to Boogie Nights, but I would think that Boogie Nights is a better movie. About L.A.? Just in general, a better movie. L.A. Confidential, I think, just reminds me of L.A. Noir, (laughs) the video game. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's a crime set in this one. L.A. Confidential, I remember liking back back then, but I haven't seen it since. I've seen Boogie Nights like a couple times, so. Yes. 
and sports-wise sports. that have happened on this day, a baseball record, Roger Clemens signed a $5.3 million per year contract with the Red Sox. That was like a record contract back then? Yep. Wow, that's like what a middle reliever makes now. (laughs) I don't know. Like that's nothing in terms of baseball I was trying to think about the movie Talent for the Game. Like remember, what did they offer that guy? Yeah, like a million bucks. Oh, okay. So as like a rookie, which is a lot. Yeah, so 5.3 million in 1991. I was like, is that a lot? I don't know. I mean, it was back then, yes. Nowadays, yeah, you got people signing like close to a well basketball is closer to a billion dollar contracts but yeah you got people signing like half half a billion dollar contracts for over 10 years all right and then i'm just gonna go into a little bit about steve martin's music career because i thought it was interesting plus i saw him live at the hardly strictly bluegrass festival in san francisco back in like 2009 Hmm. And the Harley Strictly Festival is a free festival that happens there. So it's like chaos. So when <laughs> I saw him, it I was like a mile away on a hill. So I, I didn't really get a good look. And I remember going there once and... I don't know. It was just like too many people just pushing each other around because it's a free festival. And I remember seeing him and then I saw Nico Case and then I, that was it. So Steve Martin picked up, started playing the banjo when he was a teenager and he sort of taught by, taught himself by playing by ear. He would listen to bluegrass records and play along with them with the banjo and he used them he used the banjo a lot in his comedy stand-up routines a lot and then you know his major hit that came out that i remember and i think he did on snl was the king tut song that was on snl yes okay because it's i was like i remember seeing that and he did that in one of his comedy albums which was on a wild and crazy guy that album and that album that came out in 1978 that album peaked at number 17 on like the billboard charts at that time which i thought was interesting he was huge in In the late 70s and then he just stopped right decided to give it up yeah yeah so that was like his first major hit in 78 and he started to use the banjo as a staple for his stand-up career periodically and his final comedy album called the steve martin brothers that came out in 1981 that comedy album was one side his stand-up and the other side was all his music Uh and that's when i think he just started to focus on acting Because he didn't get back into music until 2001. Or at least not publicly. Well, yeah, not publicly. Because we even saw in All of Me, he plays the guitar. So I think he, like, incorporates his music in everything he does. I mean, I know it wasn't in Grand Canyon or Father of the Bride. (laughs) Yeah. But not always, not, not always, always appropriate, but yeah. But in 2001 is when he played the banjo. Do you know who Earl Scruggs is? I, I know the name. Okay, me too. <laughs> I don't know him well. When it comes to like country and bluegrass and folk music, I'm like ignorant to this stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know this stuff, but I, I enjoy the style of bluegrass and folk yeah, and so in 2001, he played the banjo with Earl Scruggs. The song was called Foggy Mountain Breakdown, and that recording caused them to win a Grammy in 2002 for Best Country in- Instrumental Performance. And in 
2009, Steve Martin released his first all-music album called The Crow, New Songs for the Five-String Banjo, which he had appearances with several other country artists, including Dolly Parton and Earl Scruggs. He won another Grammy for Best Bluegrass Album. That was in 2010. And in June 2009, Steve Martin played the banjo, this is where I saw him, along with the Steep Canyon Rangers, and they did a Prairie Home Companion tour Okay. with them, and that was when I saw him at Harley Strictly Bluegrass Festival. So he, he, he started to collaborate with Edie Br- Brickell. Do you know who Edie Brickell is? Yeah, well, she, she did what, Insensitive? She did that song. Else for that song. I don't know the name of that. It's that. It's that. What I am is what I am, and what you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's the name of the song. I used to call it philosophy (laughs) (laughs) she just says philosophy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only song I know of hers because that used to be played in grocery (laughs) stores. Yeah, so she he started a play alongside with her in the early in 2010 and 2011, and in 2013, he and Edie Brickell made musical guest appearances on The View and Late Show with David Letterman to promote their album Love Has Come for You. The title track on that won them a Grammy for Best American Root Song in 2014. 2011, he narrated a PBS documentary called Give Me the Banjo. And most recently, the banjo and Kelly Clarkson's upcoming album, which is called Chemistry, and the song is called I Hate Love because this is this entire album is about you know her divorce. Sure. And that song was released in June second of twenty twenty three. Yeah, so he's still going strong, making music. And yeah, never like writing vocals. It's all instrumental. Yeah, it's yeah. all instrumental, and he only he'll play alongside someone like the Kelly Clarkson song like he'll play he himself is not singing right yeah he's not trying to do like a King Tut thing anymore yeah and he that that was more like his comedy stuff so we'll move on to rankings and ratings um where on your one to five star scale are you going to put LA story um I'm gonna give this movie a three a three. But I was glad to finally watch a good movie after, I don't even know, six bad... <laughs> I don't even know the last time... We've had a few bad ones in a row. <laughs> I can't remember the last good movie that we watched. Yeah, it's been a rough stretch for us here. Like, I, I was just glad to watch something where I wasn't rolling my eyes or, like, bored <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, on my zero to four star scale, I'm also going to say it's a three. I, if it was like laugh out loud funny, then I would have given it a higher ranking. Yeah, it made me want. It made me miss watching like Steve Martin rom coms, and that's why we watched all of me, which I think is a funnier movie. Yeah, it's funny, but you can't really make that movie now. Won some. I know that Lily Tomlin. I think they were nominated for maybe I didn't look Golden Globes that. or something. But his physical comedy is good in all of me. And that's what I'm saying. Like I feel like he kind of like didn't do any of. Yeah, that. he didn't like give it his all in this one. It seemed, or like his performance wasn't. I don't know. Something was missing in him. Where like in all of me, he was giving all of himself and like doing well, yeah, everything he possibly playing, like, could someone who's in his body that's and like in in something like even you know father of the bride i feel like he was more present in the role whereas here he just i he thought was he was words, fine but, but i just wasn't... thought some of the stuff that he did in the movie like the roller skating and the 
art museums. I was just like, why? I still want to know why why that. Yeah, I mean, it was like a funny, goofy dance, but it, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, it's a three out of four. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch it again? Yeah, I'll watch this again. I would too. Like, again, it's not super, super funny, but I thought it was clever and very charming and cute. And, cute, and yeah. you know, it was just a very enjoyable experience where like I, my eyes were glued to the screen the whole time because I didn't know what was going to happen next and it's been a long time since I've had a movie that was like that uh, on this podcast if you out there want to watch LA Story as of this recording in August 2023 it's available as a very expensive digital rental or VHS or DVD which you can probably find cheaper as always check your local listings as for us you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms please remember to rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends you can email us at 1991 Movie Rewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991 Movie Rewind.com for the full list of movies, long shows, and more. Next week, we're going to continue our back and forth across the country. We're going back to New York for Straight Out of Brooklyn. That's only available on VHS or DVD. We will see you then.